0: All right, so go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. We've been in a series. We're going to continue this week and next week, Experiencing Christ in in Christmas. Experiencing Christ in Christmas. Matthew was very Jewish. Matthew was a traitor to his people, a tax collector. Matthew was hated by his people. Matthew came to Jesus and left everything they say except paper and pen. Matthew is the largest gospel, the first gospel, has 65 Old Testament references, and pulls all of the Old Testament for all these new Christians in this Roman-dominated culture to show them Jesus is your Messiah. Greece is screaming with its culture and philosophy of Aristotle and Socrates, Romans commanding authority with its power and might, but Jesus is the Savior of the world. No matter how loud all the other empires are, Jesus is still here and I'm proclaiming him today. Rome is nothing but a tourist attraction and nobody speaks Greek anymore. <laughs> and the, the irony of that is the only people who speak Greek are biblical scholars because it's an ancient language and people who are studying the Bible, which is the irony of all of that. But here we are talking about Jesus. And so Matthew is going to proclaim and step out in great faith and step out and say Christ alone. Matthew is the first of the four gospels written, and Matthew is the first one to say Jesus the Christ. That's an important word. Jesus was a common word. There's In the early uh, Jewish history, Josephus, you probably heard that name before, he was a Jewish historian. He talks about 12 different Jesuses but Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is simply the New Testament version of Joshua or Yeshua, Jesus who saves a Jehovah, the Savior. So now we kind of understand who Matthew is. He's writing to these new Christians. Let's jump. He goes through all the genealogy of, uh, from Abraham all the way through. He starts with the birth of Mary. And we're going to focus on two verses today, verse 21 and 22, two very familiar verses. You heard of them before, but let's learn something new from the word of God. Matthew 1, 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It may be in all caps because it's Yeshua or Joshua, Jehovah the Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, and we will pause right there. Verse 23 is for next week. The very famous Emmanuel, God with us. But we must look at 21 and 22. And you're going to have to pray for me that I have enough text here in two verses and not even using Emmanuel, trying to save it for the last Sunday of the year that I'm going to preach. So we'll see how it goes. As I said, Joshua or Yeshua is a common name. There were 12 uh, it's talked about in the first hundred years of Jewish history. But Jesus is obviously very different. Matthew calls him the Christ. And I want to show you how different it is, not only from the old New Testament, but also from the Old. So Yahshua Yeshua, there's two Old Testament people named Joshua. Y'all know the first one. He's the captain conquering um, uh, oh, heir, excuse me, who takes over from Moses, right? Joshua brings the children of Israel into the promised land. Everybody knows that. He's a famous person in the Old Testament. There's one more you may not know about, a very important Joshua. And we find a little snippet of him in one of the last books. In fact, the second last book of the Old Testament. We find it in uh, Zechariah chapter 6. And let me set this up. Imagine we are all today going to experience the last sunset for over 400 years. Imagine that this will be the last time in our lifetime we see the sunrise this morning and set. Now, I promise you, all of you would be out there, you would borrow high-def cameras, and you want to see every moment of the sun if it wasn't going to come up for 400 years, Right? This is what's happening right here. This is what's happening because what's going to happen is the Old Testament, oh, the sun's setting. It's coming down, 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 down. And when it sets, the sun will not rise again until the sun rises again, until Matthew 1 comes. 400 years of silence. But God is a gracious God. And even in silence, he will speak and he will give his people something that will sustain them. For no father leaves children hungry. No father will not give his children bread that will sustain them throughout their life and no matter what's going on in world history. So the father says, I will give my people something that will sustain them until my son comes and gives them resurrecting life. So here we find it in Zechariah. Let me get there. Zechariah 6, we'll read 9 through 14. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Zechariah saying, Receive the gift from the captives. Now remember all the children of Israel were 70 years in captivity. They had just gotten back and rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall under Ezra and Nehemiah. But they came in sections and in groups. In fact, they left in three waves. They came back in three waves and some of them stayed. They had business. They had responsibilities. Even to a godless empire, Daniel spent his entire life serving. We have no excuses. (laughs) So some come back. Now watch this here. Receive the gift from the captives, Hildial, Tobijah, and Jediah. Who came who come from Babylon and go the same day and enter the house of Josiah the son of Zephaniah. Wait a minute. Wait, this this sounds familiar. Three people from very far away bringing precious gifts to the place of God. Wait a minute. What? I know this story, but this is not the right place. Who have come from Babylon go the same day and enter the house of Josiah the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold. Wait wait a minute. This is way too eerie. This is almost strange. Make an elaborate crown and set it on the head of who? Joshua, Yeshua, Jehovah saves. Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then speak to them saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is Branch, So that's one of the messianic words. From his place shall rise a branch out and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. Wait a minute. Something's wrong here. Why in the world would a priest be on the throne? There's only three people in the Old Testament anointed. That's the prophet, that's the priest, and that's the king. They have totally different jobs. There ain't no priest on the throne. What's wrong with you? No, 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 Israel. All authority and all power and all three people who are anointed in the Old Testament will come together as we see the prophet who lays his, his, the crown on the priest who becomes the king? What in the world? So he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. The prophet, the priest and the king. His name's Jesus. Verse 14. Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. For Helam, Tobijah, Jedediah, and him the son of Zephaniah. So the sun is setting. An elaborate crown is made that day of precious material. Bring the priest, set it on his head, and then he's going to be dead and gone. But I tell you about precious metals. They last, don't they? You can dig them up 400 years later. They get them on the bottom of the ocean a thousand years old, don't they? There was a crown in the temple waiting for the king. Amen? This is the picture. This is what it means to experience Christ in Christmas. This is what Matthew boldly proclaims. This is who Jesus the Savior is. Jesus the Anointed is. All right, that's my intro. That's super long. Let's get to my points. <laughs> I never saw it and I, I never connected all that in the Bible. I never understood that if you are a little Jewish person, old, you're young, and you're reading the Old Testament and you're reading it and you get to the end of the book and you read that, you're like, well, the Messiah, it's pretty clear. It's so clear, such a clear picture. It's bread that lasts forever for, the, for all of God's people. So let's look at this. We're back in Matthew here. 21, and, he shall, and she shall bring forth a son, and his name will be called Jesus, or Yeshua, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. For he will save his people from their sins. It doesn't say God will save his people. If it said God would save his people, then all of Israel say, that's Israel's Savior. And yes, Israel's going to be saved. Most of the New Testament church was Christians. I mean, they were they were Jews who got saved. But it says it does. This word cannot be confused with any Old Testament word of God. It says this person who becomes God will save his people, whoever they are. It's so broad in terms; it, it doesn't say anything about about Israel or, or Jews, because it was not just about Israel, the Jews. Because it was prophesied from the beginning, from Abraham, that he will be a blessing to all people all over the earth. You know, Christmas is all about giving and gifts and you know charity and all those things, right? Isn't that right? You got all that going on all time, all all throughout this season, and it's good. It's a good thing. But I want to propose something to you. Christmas is not about giving. What? It's not about giving. No, no, no. For he will save his people from their sins. That sounds like a lot of ownership to me. That sounds like getting instead of giving. Yes, he's the gift who came down from heaven. But I want to look at that. It's ownership. It's his people called by his name. They're his. Let me ask you a question. Are you his? Does he own you? and are you his and he's yours that's christmas that's what matthew said he's yours and you're his israel and all who come to jesus number 1 on your notes christmas is about ownership you're owned are you an orphan there's nothing in between you're owned by Jesus, bought by the blood of the Lamb, are you an orphan? Is that correct? God is not a man that he should lie. What kind of people are owned? Well, every kind and all kind. We know Revelation says every tongue and tribe and nation. I want to give you a New Testament example of this. It's so encouraging me. It's in First Corinthians 18. So if you want to find the most dysfunctional people and the most messed up culture in the New Testament, just go to Corinthians. They were such a messed up church because not because Jesus wasn't savior, not because they didn't come to the Lord, but they grew up in a godless, wicked society on the, um, the, the seafaring port town of Corinth that was large and metropolitan and just horribly wicked. It had a, uh, the temple of Diane is still there in the ancient ruins. It had a thousand temple prostitutes there that lived there, male and female. Okay, I'm just trying to to paint the picture of this picture. I want to show you what Paul says about these people. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality, every sin. Wait, let me back up here. Hold on. Let me give you the headline of these, these couple uh, chapters before. Immorality defies the church. defiles the church. Immorality must be judged. Paul's care despite all this mess. Uh, do not sue the brethren. <laughs> a whole chapter on not suing. If you've got to do a whole chapter on not suing, people, that's a, that's a tough one, right? Your, your brothers, you've got issues. Okay, so this is these people. This is the picture of them flee sexual immorality, even sin that does, excuse me, every sin that does, that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in who is in you, whom you have from God and who are not your own? For you were, what does that say? Bought with a price bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. You were bought with a price. Let's see if this is a reoccurring theme. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. Chapter 7, 23. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. This is why this matters. If we can look in the Bible and find the most undeserving, Messed up people who not only give their life to the Lord, but then have all kind of problems. They got to work out and Paul has to be patient with them and write a whole nother letter and deal with them and fix the things in the churches and deal with their sin and deal with their lying and deal with their immorality. All of those things. But Paul, by the Holy Spirit, steps forward and says, I want to tell you, you are his he owns you. He loves you. He bought you. And he's not ashamed of you, and I'm not either. Christmas is about the glorious great grace of ownership that no matter what happened in your life or what you've done or what you're not proud of, God loves you and pulled you out of that by the Holy Spirit, by the redemption of the cross, and he says, I'm not ashamed to call these Corinthians who are so messed up, mine, mine, mine. This is salvation. This is freedom. It doesn't matter the past when it comes under the blood. Mine. Christmas is about ownership. He owns you, He owns me. Amen? You're owned. This is why you can have peace in any storm. This is why you can say, Lord, you'll get me through this mess. Lord, you're greater than whatever's going on at home. In my personal life, in my mind, in my business, in my bank account, in my body, you own me. Christmas is about ownership. Oh, a powerful ownership. Amen. You always know ownership. You can tell when people think, know that they own something. They just—they're different. They talk different. They act different. I've got a dog who assumes that when we purchase that animal out of a rescue shelter. Thought that she owned everything in the house. She still thinks that. And she's not hypoallergenic. She's super cute and super sweet. But she sheds everywhere. Everywhere. You know those lint rollers as you roll? That's what we use. I don't even know if that's safe. There's a vet in the house. I shouldn't be saying this. He's going to call someone on me. We roll them. And we just roll them with those. We got two or three kids rolling with those. Those stick things, and we'll go through three or four packs. We buy them at Costco, those big ones. And I mean, she, we pull the hair out. I can't stand dog hair. But she, yesterday, there's a birthday party at my house, as there one is every couple of weeks, and I walk in, and she's up on my chair, sprawled out like this. Hey, hey, is my chair, isn't it? There's just something about, they think they own something. Animals do that, don't they? They just, they're as low as they can be. But for some reason they know, he brought me here. He loves me. I don't know who owns who, but, you know, I've got 51% stake. That's the way they are. Now I'm going to tell you, if the Bible says that he knows the sparrow, The what? That's an animal, right? If the Bible says he knows when one falls to the ground, that's an animal. How are you owned? How much more does he love you? Come on now. Oh, I passed up my funny part. I forgot about my pictures. (laughs) There's a picture up there. See, they know they're owned. He owns that couch. He did that to himself. He just wanted to see if he could fit. Now, this, I don't know who owns who in this next one. <laughs> that's what they do, 200-pound lap dog. She's going to get up, and even though that's a fleece, she's going to have a fur coat on when she gets up. Now, there's some important ownership things in our lives. Let me show you this next one. That gives you ownership. That's a document That's powerful. Ownership is powerful. It gives you that car, that property, that gun, whatever it is. That's ownership right there. Ownership. Ownership. Come on. He owns you and you have him. All of heaven is yours. That's what he said, not me. Ownership. All right. Let's keep looking here. We're right there in Matthew. That's 21, verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled. That is no small statement. That is all of humanity, all of societies, all of countries past, that is all all of world history, you have to think about this, bending, being contoured by the sovereign God of the universe so that everything Matthew said and everything that Jesus did from the virgin birth through his life, from his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension would be true, including over 300 fulfilled prophecies in Christ alone. Three, over 300 Old Testament Christ fulfilled so all this was done that it, might be fulf- that it might be fulfilled. Those are heavy, heavy words. All of human history bent around that statement. It is bent, contoured, and controlled by that statement from all the prophets and all the way through. Let me show you Hebrews 11 to kind of understand this. This is verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Well, who's all these? There are 16 individual names given in Hebrews 11. 16 witnesses alone in just Hebrews 11 that step forward and say he did everything he said he would do and came back. Abraham stepped forward and said he's done everything he said he would do in life and when Jesus was born he completed it and stepped back. Ruth stepped forward and said everything And step back. Samson stepped forward. Noah stepped forward. Enoch stepped forward. The prophet stepped forward. David stepped forward. Every single one of them stepped forward and said, what he promised, he guaranteed it, and it happened. And step back in history. This is what we get to do in life. This is what you get to do with your life. You get to step forward and said, what he told me was true, and he has fulfilled it all Number two in your notes, God guarantees fulfillment of his word in your life. He guarantees it. If he didn't guarantee it, Abraham's a liar. If he didn't guarantee it, so is David. So is Ruth. So is, so is, so is, so is, so is. And so is Matthew. Now, I don't know about you. But I'm not going to call him a liar. <laughs> I don't even have to get to Jesus. <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> God guarantees fulfillment of his word in your life. He guarantees it. Now, here's the caveat. Are you his servants? Are you his servant? I'm his servant. What do servants do? (laughs) Servants serve. I know the word for that is they wait. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Servants serve. They serve at the pleasure of the master. So I wait on my master. All these died in faith, not having received the promise, but saw it afar off. Said, "My master said he when there," and I'm fine with that, because servants serve. Let me tell you something. I love you now. If you don't want to trust the Lord in all things in your life, ask yourself, "Am I His servant?" Because what servants do is serve, and if He says, "Stand there." you stand there. If he says do this for so many years, you do it. Amen? Because servants serve. One scripture here about the guarantee, 2 Corinthians 20. 2 Corinthians 1.20. It's right here on your screen. For all the promises of God in him, when you're in Christ now, when you're in him, when he's yours, when he owns you, are yes, and in Him, oh Amen. That means let it be so, to the glory of God through us. Now He who establishes you, who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us in God, is God. Excuse me, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a what? Guarantee. In fact, he said, You know what? Abraham's testimony is great. And so is Moses's, and you should listen. And so is all the prophets. But yet, not enough. For he will become Emmanuel and step into time and history. He will complete his task and purpose. And then when he leaves, I will not leave you comforted. I will give you a continual witness, a continual guarantee that will abide with you forever so that no man is without excuse. The Holy Spirit himself indwelling in every believer. The guarantee of all things God has said. All right, let's keep looking. Verse 22 of Matthew 1. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled. All this is so much. Which was spoken by the Lord through who? The prophets. Which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets saying. Which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. I want to show you some prophets being quoted in the New Testament. Then we'll get to our point. This is Acts 1. We're going to read 15 through 17 and then Acts chapter 2. Now I have to set this up. The ascension has just happened. God spent most probably the 50 days with his disciples seen by over 500. They um, have experienced him. They're getting ready to be endowed by the Holy Spirit. They have been endowed by the Holy Spirit, but they have a problem. They have a deep, deep hurt and personal issue. We do not need to pass this up in the Bible before we go into the, new, the Acts, the book of Acts and the glory and, and the power and all that. There's a deep hurt and problem in their life. And it's right here in Acts one fifteen. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the name was about 120, not very many. A church of 120, everybody knows everybody, right? That's like a town of 120. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's in everybody's business. It's good. It's personal. People actually care about each other, know you by name. You're you're there. You're not going to go off and wander off and do something crazy without someone trying to pull you back. But 120, and said, men and brethren, the scripture, and he's going to say this by the Holy Spirit, obviously, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which was spoken which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David. He's quoting David. So what? The Holy Spirit spoke to David. The Holy Spirit spoke through David. So you need to believe David. Concerning who? Judas. Why are you bringing up Judas? Judas is dead and gone. We don't want to talk about what he did. We're going to talk about what he did to us and how deeply he hurt us and betrayed us and said at the Last Supper and smiled while all along he was going to betray the Lord and had the money of the twelve and deeply wounded us, Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. I'm going to tell you what the Lord does before he moves in groups or whatever. And you can be Peter and you can be Matthew, you can be everybody else. You can be the, the Mary. Mary is named in this group. How do you think she felt in her heart about the man who hung her, on, her son on the cross? She's still mama. There's no deeper hurt and it's prophesied how deep her hurt was. The Bible says a, a spear is going through your heart, Mary, right? What do you think she's dealing with in her humanity with this guy? And the Lord speaks to Peter and says, Before these people can be helped and, and go out and build my church, first I got to heal them. First I got to fix this broken heart. First I'm going to take this anger and I'm going to pull it out and I'm going to fill it with peace. I'm going to take all those years of all that betrayal, the three years of him smiling and everything's great, and for 30 pieces of silver, he betrays the Son of God. I'm going to take all that out of the church, all of that out, and we'll fill it with my Holy Spirit and with my peace. That has to happen first in all of our lives. Amen? It has to happen first in our lives, in our homes, so we can do anything for God. If we're going to in any way resemble the, the book of Acts, the Lord comes by the Holy Spirit and says, first we've got to deal with everyone who hid and tucked and pushed down the Judas experience and shoved it way back in the corner. Nope, we're going to get that out right now. Amen? Amen. One more verse, verse 17. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of this ministry. You need to understand how close Judas was with this group. He was numbered with us. And God says, first heal this, then Acts 2 is coming. Acts 2, which we're about to read, would never have happened without this. Because who's the most fiery one in the bunch? Who's the one who saved? Who's the one who brought the sword and cut off the servant's ear to, def- to defend Jesus? Who's the one who's the maddest? And if he had a gun, he would just put, put two holes right in Judas's head. Peter. So who did God have to deal with deepest? Peter. So God deals deeply healing Peter. Then Acts 2 happens. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and heed my word. Now I'm clean. Now I'm pure. For these men are not drunk as you suppose since only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Wait, he was first. Peter said, you need to listen to David. Now he says, you need to listen to Joel. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. I'm clean now. I'm pure. Judas is the hurt and pain of Judas is gone. Let me stand up and proclaim the word of God in power, in authority, in truth. With no malice in my heart, for Paul said, rid yourself of all malice. You can't do anything for the Lord with malice in your heart. Believe me, i tried. I've tried. It doesn't matter. I I can stay mad at that person and go talk to that person. It ain't going to happen. I don't care if they're on the other side of the world. I've tried it there, too. It does not matter. Rid yourself of it. Peter, I'm going to get rid of this in your life. Then you can stand up in power and authority and quote David and quote Joel. And then Peter's going to go back and quote David, two more times in this sermon. Oh, yeah, and this is the first sermon in the New Testament that's public, that's to more than just Jews, that's, remember, all the people are gathered from all over. He's proclaiming to all these different people and races and groups and nations. You want authority over different people groups besides just yours? Get your heart pure and right, and God will give you authority in any area. Amen? So what's all this about for the fiery often? Angry Peter and the two disciples, Sons of Thunder, James and John, who are called Sons of Thunder for a reason. What's all this about? Number three on your notes. Peace is the result of trusting in every part of the Bible. Wait, what? Who did Peter quote from to set all those disciples, Mary included. Who did Peter quote from where the Holy Spirit came and moved? He was quoting from Psalms, David in the Old Testament. That's where he was quoting from. And the freedom came to all those hundred and twenty. Look, I'm going to tell you that group was a close group and there was not one of them in there who could stand up in spiritual superiority and say, Judas didn't bother me. I'm above all that. They were real and they were honest. And God knew he had to get that straight first. Well, let's end with a story. Frederick Booth Tucker, born 1853. Booth may sound familiar, especially this time of year. He was born to an affluent family, extremely intelligent, gifted in sports and academics. To the disappointment of his parents, he married at a young age and felt the call to missions. Decided he would go to the worst part of the world with the Salvation Army, to the poorest part of India. Not there very long, and his precious wife, Lucia, died in the great cholera outbreak in 1887. Broken and hurt, he comes back to the States and falls in love again with uh, Emma Booth, the daughter of William and Catherine Booth. If that sounds familiar, they're the ones who started the Salvation Army. You may have seen or heard the bells being rung and the little red pot at a store near you that was their daughter he married her and uh, went back to India and, uh, they had nine children six survived three children and a. Uh, let me give you their names they had names the six survived were Frederick Catherine Lucy Maya Herbert John and Muriel The three died were William, Evangeline, and Brewell, as infants. He came back to the U.S. where he's preaching in Chicago. Already widowed once and lost three children, he's preaching in Chicago about the peace and sympathy of Jesus. As he's preaching, he ends his sermon, and a man comes up to him angry with tears in his eyes and says, Sir... My wife has just died. My children are at home crying for their mother, who they'll never see again. And if you were in my shoes, you would never be preaching like that. (laughs) Frederick did not know what to do or say. What do you do? He just put his head down, prayed, and walked away in humility. Obviously, the man was in so much hurt and pain. He just, you know, everybody has a horrible day. Unfortunately and tragically. A few days later, his wife, Emma, Frederick's wife, was killed in a train wreck. He has now been widowed twice. He has lost three children. I'm going to show you a picture. It's over 100 years old. This is him, Frederick Booth Tucker, his six surviving children. You see how young they are. And if you look very close, it's hard to see, but there is a picture in the background. Do you see it? That is his wife, Emma, the second one who just died. His wife had asked him to preach his funeral. Excuse me, her funeral. So he does. Obviously very difficult. At the end of the service, he says this. The other day a man told me I wouldn't speak about the sympathy of Jesus if my wife had just died. If that man is here, I wanted to tell him. Gosh, I can't do these stories. Why do I do these sappy stories? I want to tell him that Christ is sufficient. My heart is broken, but there is a song of peace put in there by Jesus. I want that man to know that Jesus speaks comfort. And peace to me today and all who need it. Frederick Booth Douglas. Let's stand up. Oh, those stories. Oh, goodness. You need to listen to Frederick Booth Douglas. He knows what he's talking about. Only immaturity doesn't listen. It's only my children who say when I'm driving home, Daddy, do you know where you're going? You seem to be lost. Kids, I live here. I bought this house. I know where it is. Only a child would say that. We need to heed wisdom. A man of wisdom will hear and gain or grow in understanding. Heed the wisdom of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Moses, of the 16 named in Hebrews. Heed the life of Frederick Booth Tucker. I have never been widowed twice and lost three children. But a man who was said, Jesus is sufficient and his peace is mine because I am his and he's mine. Amen. Come on, let's spend a few minutes with Jesus. I don't know where you are, but Jesus does. Come on, just come to Him. With surrender, with whatever issue or problem, everything we're dealing with, the joy of the holidays and the disappointments. The joy and the disappointments. The highs and the lows. He owns you. He guarantees it, and it's peace He guarantees. As we reflect on this last scripture here in Isaiah, the last few minutes, we're going to worship. This is what Isaiah 32 says. The work of righteousness will be what? It's peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance for how long? That's a guarantee. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation. That means where you live, there's peace. In secure dwellings and in quiet, resting places. That is Christmas. That is the promise of the Father. And He's not a man that He should lie. Come on, let's worship the King.
1: Be unholy unholy for the broken the unworthy you came Jesus you came for All right. Uh defeat.
0: In Isaiah if you're lacking peace and this is a hectic time of the year often peace is difficult to achieve sometimes for whatever reason he has a promise if you are his and he is yours if he owns you bought with the precious blood of Jesus peace is yours guaranteed it's a forever peace that forever peace first of all is that when you shut your eyes and breathe your last which could be today or in 20 or 50 years you'll know you'll be with him quickly with eyes closed and heads bowed, you say i don't have that peace and i need him i need a savior i'm lost and that's you here today i want you to raise your hand is there anyone like that? Now let's come to the Prince of Peace then. Lord, we thank you that my people will dwell in peaceful habitation. They're mine, mine ownership. I thank you. There's the. The attitude, the revelation, the spirit of ownership would come upon these people. Every one of us, we're owned by the precious blood of Jesus, bought by him. My people, no one would ever feel orphaned or abandoned or second class. They are owned by him. I thank you that because of that great truth and revelation, peace is coming to them. Peace is theirs eternally security and quietness of heart and mind and a resting place. Father, I thank you that your word is true and doesn't return void. And right now, let it wash over all of us, every one of us. We receive it now, Lord, by the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, that this holiday season, even what's left, that the peace of God would mark it. That as we walk around, the hustle and bustle would not grab us or affect us. And in fact, light would shine because people would look at us and say, Where does that peace come from? I thank you, Lord, that your name would be glorified in your children, in your children, through your great peace this holiday season. We thank you for it. We know it's ours we thank you in the strong name of jesus we all pray and everyone said amen now let's praise him come on he's worthy come on he's worthy he's worthy god bless you god bless you have a great day